Hi, my name is Pamela Coons, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Oncology at Yale School of Medicine and Yale Cancer Center. I'm excited to announce ASCO's new open access journal, JCO Oncology Advances. As the inaugural editor-in-chief, I hope to support JCO Oncology Advances to become the premier platform to bridge the gap between accessible scientific research and clinical care. Stay tuned for more information, including new article types, at ascopubs.org forward slash JCO Oncology Advances. We look forward to seeing your submissions in spring of 2024. The guest on this podcast episode has no disclosures to declare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of JCO After Hours, the podcast that gets in-depth on articles that have been published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. And it is my great pleasure to be your host. I'm Shannon Weston, GYN Oncology, and I serve as the social media editor for the Journal of Clinical Oncology. Today, we're going to be discussing a very exciting article describing the DreamSeq trial, ECOG Akron EA6134, combination dibrafenib and trametinib versus combination nivolumab and ipilimumab for patients with advanced BRAF mutant melanoma. This article was published in the JCO on January 10th, 2023. And I am joined today by the lead author, Dr. Michael Atkins, who is Deputy Director, Georgetown Lombardi University Hospital, and Scholl Professor and Vice Chair of Oncology at Georgetown University Medical Center. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. In addition, we are also accompanied by two experts in the field, Dr. Adil Dowd, Professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, and Director of Melanoma Clinical Research at UCSF Helen Diller Family Comprehensive Cancer Center. Welcome, Dr. Dowd. Hi, great to be here. And with Dr. Dowd is Dr. Gary Schwartz, the Division Chief of Hematology Oncology and Deputy Director of the Herbert Irving Comprehensive Cancer Center in Columbia, New York. Thank you for being here. Delighted to be here. So I'm surrounded by experts, and I'm very excited as a G1 oncologist to hear all of what you all have learned in melanoma, because we're always excited to take that back into our field. So I think first, though, for those of us that aren't melanoma experts, Dr. Atkins, can you just level set for us and, and tell us what was the standard of care for melanoma when you began this study? Sure. Well, first of all, this was a study for patients with BRAF, B600 driver mutations in their melanoma, which represents about 50% of the patients with metastatic melanoma. And at the time the study was launched in 2015, two BRAF MEK inhibitor combinations were FDA approved and shown to produce significant progression-free survival and overall survival benefits relative to BRAF inhibitor monotherapy. In addition, combination checkpoint inhibitor therapy with nivolumab and ipilimumab was shown to be superior to ipilimumab, and in particular in patients with BRAF mutant melanoma, also to nivolumab monotherapy based on the results of the Checkmate 067 study leading to its FDA approval. So we had these two regimens there that were approved. Of note, despite the many debates and attempts to garner real-world evidence at the time the study actually reported out in 2021, marketing data showed that half of all patients in the U.S. with metastatic BRAF mutant melanoma 
were receiving BRAF MEK inhibitors, and only one quarter received nevoipi as initial therapy. So there remained a confusion throughout the course of the study as to which regimen was best in the U.S. and around the world. Tell me, what led to the current study? Was it really trying to drive at that very question? These were the best treatment available at the time, and they really had changed melanoma patient outcome in ways that we could have only dreamed about just five to 10 years prior when median survival for patients with metastatic melanoma was six to nine months. Hence the DreamSeq trial, this doublet randomized evaluation of advanced melanoma sequencing was really an apt acronym for the trial. But we had these two regiments of BRAF MEK inhibitors tend to display the overall survival curve, while immunotherapy tended to raise the tail. And at the time the study was launched, it was really unclear which treatment was preferred in general or for particular subsets of patients. And given that patients would likely have the option to receive both approaches, was there a preferred sequence? So the DreamSeq trial was a launch to address these questions. Now, I can echo Michael's statement about that. I mean, there was also having been at the beginning of immunotherapy and targeted drug therapy, the transformation of cancer medicine in melanoma was extraordinary over a very short amount of time. We transform a disease that's incurable to curable. And I don't think anybody, at least not in my lifetime, that that ever think we'd ever see or I see that type of transformation. But the debate in the community was what should be the first therapy? Should it be a targeted drug combination targeting RAF and MEC for BRAF mutant melanoma, or should it be immunotherapy? And and actually there was a trend favoring immunotherapy, I think, at the time of the start of the study. It was absolutely an unresolved issue that many of us we're continuing to debate up to the publication of this data, which uh, certainly has now solidified the role of immunotherapy as a starting point for patients with BRAP mutant melanoma. Thanks, Gary. I would love for you because it is a complex design. And I feel like a lot of times as drug developers, we're often discouraged to do too many lines in a row. And I was just so intrigued at how well this was laid out to really understand those very questions of superiority as well as sequence, which we don't often assess. Dr. Atkins, will you just summarize the design so that all of the very smart researchers on the line can utilize that for their own (laughs) cancer types? Yeah, it was complicated to execute, but the design was pretty simple. Patients with treatment-naive BRAF mutant metastatic melanoma were stratified according to ECOG performance status and LDH normal and high, and randomized in step one to receive either combination nevoipi induction for 12 weeks, followed by nevomonotherapy maintenance for up to 72 weeks. That was ARMA, and that was standard of care for that regimen, or dubrafnib trametinib continuously, and that was ARMB. And if patients experienced disease progression and met the step two eligibility criteria, they were able to cross over to the alternative sequence, ARMC, Dabrafinib, Dermetinib, or ARMD, Nevoipi. And we followed the patients and chose two-year overall survival as the primary endpoint. And we kind of got a little hint. So what was the primary finding? Yes, because of the 
anticipated distinct shapes of the overall survival curves with the BRAF MEK inhibitors tending to have their benefit early and the immunotherapies tending to raise the tail of the curve, we thought there'd be non-proportional hazards and that the overall survival curves might cross. And therefore, we chose as a primary endpoint two-year landmark overall survival with an estimate that the NEVO-IPI first sequence would have a 70% overall survival rate compared to 50% for the DAB-TRAM first sequence. And with 300 patients enrolled and 270 available, there was about a 90% power to show this difference in two-year overall survival rate with a two-sided type 1 error rate of 0.05. And it met its primary endpoint? Yeah. So the, the study was opened in July of 2015. And it was set up that there would be data safety monitoring committee meetings after the first 100 patients were accrued every six months. And that the data cutoff used for the fourth interim data safety monitoring committee meeting, which was a median follow-up about a little over two years, 265 patients had enrolled in step one. Those were evenly split between the two arms, and 73 had enrolled in step two, with nearly two-thirds of those being on RMD, second-line NEVO-IPI. And the two arms, uh, initial arms, were balanced for most of the characteristics. It was randomized for the important characteristics. And from an efficacy standpoint, once again, we chose landmark two-year overall survival as a primary endpoint. And the overall survival curves for the combined sequences showed the anticipated biphasic pattern. They actually crossed around 10 months. And 100 patients had died with 62 of them on the sequence beginning with DAB-TRAM. And the two-year overall survival rate was 72% for patients who started on Nevo-IPI and 52% for those who started on DAB-TRAM. And that was a pretty significant difference. P equals about 0 1 by log rank tests. And so this 95% repeated confidence intervals along this 20% difference in overall survival ranged from 3 to 38%. And the O'Brien-Fleming boundary had been crossed based on this estimate. And the th- interesting, as we published, the three-year overall survival difference was even greater, approaching 24%. So that was the main study endpoint. And because the Data Safety Monitoring Committee felt that that difference was clinically significant, even though we had only had about 59% information, they recommended at that point that the study be closed early and that patients who were on RMB, dibrafenib, be given the option to cross over to immunotherapy before disease progression. So that was the primary endpoint. I'm going to pause there. There were some secondary endpoints that I think were interesting, but maybe Gary or Adil have comments about this. I hope they do, yeah. I'm going to give over my podcast hosting to you. Mike, uh, congratulations on that study. I mean, that's uh, transformative. I mean, I think there was a feeling, like Gary was saying, that immunotherapy might be better in the long term. But I remember a lot of discussions, and, and I think you answered them in 2015 or 2014 and 2013, because you've been working on this design for a while, that the people who were treated with BRAF inhibitor therapy were just different. And a lot of people would say that when somebody walks into the clinic, the folks who are BRAF mutant, they just have rapidly progressive disease, like something, something really 
bad is going on. And that's why the results on BRAF, MEK inhibitor therapy just look different than immunotherapy. Immunotherapy was for slower growing tumors. And I think your study kind of puts maybe a different spin on that, that basically suggesting differently. Would you comment on that? Yeah. So a deal, I think early on, people thought that BRAF MEK inhibitor was for patients who had rapidly progressive disease and you needed to get a response to get the disease under control. But over time, as those studies were followed out, it appeared that the BRAF MEK inhibitors tended to work best in uh, patients who had less aggressive disease, performance status zero, M1, A, or B disease, and normal LDH. And so it was still confusing as to who should get which therapies. And when you compared the results using retrospective data between those who got immune therapy and those who got targeted therapy, it was really difficult to be sure that these were the same patient population. So the only way you could really know whether immunotherapy was truly better was to do a prospectively randomized studies where the two arms were balanced, which is what we set out to do in DreamSeek. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of areas in oncology where people think whether you should give somebody a CAR T cell or whether you should give somebody myeloma therapy or people think, well, these are just totally different. Or in melanoma, I think fitil therapy there's this question about, can you really compare that to anything else? And I think your study, which perhaps wouldn't be done by a pharmaceutical company and perhaps wouldn't be outside of the cooperative groups, I I feel that it's hard to really do a study of that type. I agree. Yeah. First, I want to say congratulations on really an extraordinary study, Michael. I think it really answers some critical clinical and biological questions that have been subject to debate in the melanoma and the medical oncology community for the last five or more years. Uh, there were a couple of things that surprised me. One was the, the fact that patients that started on Dabtremi when crossed over to immunotherapy, the outcomes were pretty poor. And uh, that was a biological outcome, I guess, we kind of thought about. But this study certainly suggests that there's something about prior targeted drug therapy that may affect outcome in immunotherapy. And also the other thing that was surprising was the number of dropouts that developed and who couldn't cross over because of the rapid progression on the first-line study. Do you want to comment on both of those points and, and maybe give us share some thoughts about what that means for the medical care patients who get this type of treatment? Sure. First of all, response rates were similar between the step one regimens and Pradabtram, whether used in step one or step two. In contrast, as you said, nevolipi appeared to be less effective after progression on Dabtram than in the first line. It was like a 46% response rate in the first line, about 30%. In the second line, the median PFS in the first line was about 11 plus months, and in the second line was only about three months. And I think there was some feeling in the community, probably wishful thinking, and also based on what I think are some flawed preclinical and uh, translational studies that BRAF MEK inhibitors might cause some immunogenic cell death and cause new antigens to be expressed and activate the immune system and be synergistic with immunotherapy given afterwards. While I think other data suggested that the resistance mechanism to 
the brachydactyl was immunosuppressive, leading to upregulation of VEGF and things like that. So this result suggested that immunotherapy didn't work as well in the second line. There are probably several reasons for that. It could be biologic changes, which I think we don't pay enough attention to when we think about what we're doing in the first and the second line. But also the type of patients who progressed on BRAF neck inhibitors, when you stop those drugs, the disease tends to accelerate. Many of them probably had subclinical CNS disease, and it was just not a good time for them to be going on immunotherapy, while in the front line, you didn't have to deal with those type of issues. And with regard to crossover, one of the things that we looked at as a secondary endpoint in this study was feasibility of doing the crossover. Because in clinical practice, we found that if you waited until disease progression on BRAF MEK inhibitors and then tried to cross them over, oftentimes patients progress really rapidly and you weren't able to get the immunotherapy in to a large degree. While in patients who got immunotherapy, they had a lot of toxicity often, which caused them to stop therapy. And if they had toxicity at the time they were progressing, it might be complicated to add new drugs in. And so I think the community was a bit surprised that only about half the patients were able to successfully cross over. But I think that's reality, that if you use these drugs to progression and then have eligibility criteria, which you have to have in a clinical trial for patients to go on the second-line treatment, you're going to have a lot of dropouts. One of the major reasons for dropouts on DAP-TRAM was progression in the CNS. And dabrafenib trametinib doesn't work as well in the CNS as it does systemically, while immune therapy actually appears to work as well for patients with asymptomatic or undetected CNS metastases as it does systemically. And I think that was an important reason why immune therapy was better. I've looked at your paper now multiple times, Michael, and I can't think of any reason why anybody would want to start a targeted therapy for B-repnean melanoma. I mean, I think this really becomes a definitive study declaring that immunotherapy is where all medical oncology should begin in the treatment of BRAF metastatic melanoma. Is that too much of a statement to make, or would you agree with that as well? I, I've been trying to think all the reasons why not to give immunotherapy first. I can't think of one now after your paper that would suggest otherwise. Well, I've been chastened by a lot of reviewers, as you know, to say that these results only definitively apply to the patients who were eligible for this study. And patients who had poor performance status or active brain mets or who required steroids or needed to be in the hospital or had to have a response were not eligible for this study. And so I think there are some patients where the disease is just on fire where you may need to give BRAF MEK inhibitors to try to cool it off before you start immune therapy, particularly if patients need to be on immunosuppressive drugs to control edema in their brain or because of bone mats pressing on spinal cord or things like that, I think that it's important to have that other option. But as soon as you can, as soon as you've created enough window to give patients off immunosuppressive drugs or improve their performance status enough so that they can be an outpatient 
you probably should switch to immunotherapy and give them a chance for long-term benefit. I have doctors call me outside of academia and say, hey, you know, I've got a patient walking in. I'm trying to decide, should I do the triple therapy or should I do, which triple therapy in, in melanoma refers to debrafenib plus trametinib plus a PD-1 drug like pembrolizumab or in some cases a different, like a PDL one inhibitor. And they're like, questioning whether that's an appropriate place to start. Or sometimes people say, well, what about doing a sandwich regimen where we start off with uh, debrafenib, trametinib, and then switch over to something else without waiting for progression, just, just to give people. And I give a long-winded answer to that, but I'm curious to hear what you think, what you both think. Yeah, so my view is I've always thought based on some of our early translational studies, which we presented at ASCO and hopefully we'll be able to publish soon, that the BRAF MEK inhibitor data that showed that there was an influx of immune cells and potential synergy was actually an artifact, that it was not increasing immune cells in the tumor microenvironment, but actually loss of tumor cells in the tumor microenvironment that was causing the impression that the tumors were more inflamed. And I felt that when it came to immunotherapy, BRAF MEK inhibitors were not ipilimumab and were not going to add to the benefit that we see with immune therapy of durable responses the way you can see with Nevo Ipi. So I've stayed away from those triplet regimens, and I think we've seen with the studies that have been published so far that they tend to have sub-additive benefit when you add an anti-PD-1 to BRAF MEK inhibitors. You see some prolongation of PFS, but you don't see the same tail of the survival curve. And even at two years, the tail of the survival curve for those triple regimens is below where it is for Nevo-Ipi in the BRAF mutant population all the way out at five years. And the Nevo-Ipi population, I'm talking about the progression-free survival curve, and that Nevo-Ipi population can still get BRAF MEK inhibitors if they progress. So I think that triple regimen, I can't think of a patient where I would use that. But the sandwich regimen, as I was just describing, may be useful in some patients who just aren't in appropriate shape to start with immune therapy. Now, I would agree with Michael. I think the, the clinical trial data would really discourage the use of triplet therapy. I mean, they're, they really lean against the benefit of triplet therapy for all the published papers we've seen so far in that area. But I guess you're right. The idea, if you have one of those patients that comes in and who's really on fire with rapidly progressive disease on steroids and needs a quick, very quick benefit, perhaps initiating targeted therapy first for a short time would be reasonable in the treatment of those patients. But beyond that, I really think there probably are not going to be many exceptions to starting immunotherapy first, because your data, to me, strongly would suggest that starting targeted therapy is going to diminish the benefits of immunotherapy to follow. And that, to me, is a important take-home point of the study and sort of validate some of the preclinical data. I mean, no matter what, what you look at, but there is preclinical data suggesting that MEK inhibition will diminish T-cell responsiveness. And I think this supports that biological effect. So I think we have to be cautious about upfront targeted drug therapy now and have to find what are those opportunities where may be appropriate, but I think they're really diminishingly few. And I would just emphasize 
the flip side of that, which is that targeted therapy is equally effective in the second line for patients who don't respond to immunotherapy. And I think that was also a critical component of why the immunotherapy first sequence was better than the targeted therapy first sequences. You had better salvage. That's a very good point. Well, I personally just want to thank the three of you. I learned a ton today, and I fully intend to take that back to the work that we're doing in gynecologic malignancies, combining immune therapies and targeted therapies. And I hope our listeners will do the same. Further, I agree with you, Dr. Schwartz. I think this is a practice-changing study. I appreciate you, Dr. Atkins, and being a little cautious that I appreciate the editors that reviewed it as well. But this is as clear a definitive trial as we can get and a testament to your hard work through the cooperative groups, which we all know can be a struggle in itself to get this type of trial through. So congratulations again. And I think the lessons learned in melanoma are going to be applicable to all cell tumors. So, you know, melanoma is about a so far ahead of many other tumors. But what we learned here isn't just impacting melanoma, but will impact all cancer medicine. And I think that's what's so important about this trial is Lefebvre here really are broadly based and have clinical applications to many patients getting immunotherapy, targeted drug therapies today. So uh, congratulations, Dr. Atkins. I think, you know, you, you hit a whole run on this one. The medical oncology community is indebted to you and to your group to, to making this possible. And, and thank you for bringing it to JCO as well. I think that itself is, speaks to the success of the journal and the impact these types of studies have on reaching a large segment of the medical oncology community. Well, thank you very much, Gary. I do wanted to emphasize the point you made that I think this result does impact how we think about the use of targeted therapies or chemotherapies or anti-angiogenic therapies in other tumors in coordination with immunotherapy. And I'm sort of on a mission to uh, make the point that if you want to get the most benefit out of immunotherapy, you should give it first and you should give it unencumbered by other things that might interfere with its activity. I think that's the last word, Shannon. I believe it is. I believe it is. Thank you all so much for being here. And thank you to our listeners for being here for another episode of JCO After Hours. Again, we were discussing combination dibrafenib and trametinib versus combination nivolumab and ipilimumab for patients with advanced BRAF mutant melanoma, the DreamSeq trial, ecog Akron EA6134, published in January 10th, 2023 in the JCO. Please do check out our other podcast offerings. You can check them out on the JCO website or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until next time, be well. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. This is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Guest statements on the podcast do not express the opinions of ASCO. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an ASCO endorsement.